We're in John chapter 4. We have been looking at the woman at the well in verses 1 through 26. And we'll recap. That's a very, very interesting study, this woman at the well. And we hear Jesus' opening statement. He says, he saw a need to go through Samaria. The need is this woman at the well, a sinful woman, and the city of Sychar, and really the whole region of Samaria that uh, the Jews disdained. They, they did not like the Samaritans. And as Jesus and his disciples traveled through Samaria, on their way to Galilee, Jesus leaves behind him a hotbed of confrontation with the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And it wasn't time for Jesus to do verbal battle with these guys. So he takes a detour and he takes off and he goes up to Galilee, but he goes through Samaria and a road that's directly to Galilee that the Jews wouldn't normally take. They would go around Samaria to get up to Galilee. And Jesus has this encounter with one sinful woman. She's an outcast of Sychar, but this is where Jacob's well happened to be. Now, when Lori and I travel, our budget sort of dictates the type of motel or hotel we stay in. And we've stayed in some where you go, oh my, <laughs> hope we wake up in the morning. <laughs> but Jesus and his disciples are going through a city, their Sychar, and Jesus has sent his disciples off to buy food uh, wherever they can find it there in Sychar. And Jesus then initiates a conversation with the woman of Samaria at Jacob's well. And this was a social no-no. Jews interacting with Samaritans. And this woman at the well calls Jesus on this social no-no. You, being a Jew, asked me for a drink of water. And Jesus is using water, plus he's thirsty, as a way to relate to this woman. Uh, in this story, it's a great example, as you study this story, of how to evangelize, how to relate to people right where they're at. Uh, many times we will talk about the weather, you know, and how many of you had the wind blow last night? The wind woke me up blowing last night. But anyway, that's just a weather thing. And Jesus is initiating conversation with a woman that needs him. And he speaks of living water. And he speaks how this water is available to her through himself. 
Water that if she drinks will satisfy her spiritual thirst. But first Jesus has to confront this woman, cause this woman to think, and consider spiritual uh, needs. As Jesus' disciples, one of our responsibilities is to awaken those around us to their spiritual needs. We are to be salt and light. And if we're not salt and light, who will be? People seek for meaning to life through various mediums and all these different ways to, to try to find out meaning for life. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes we're to be led by the Holy Spirit to expose a person's sinful state. They need to know they are living in sin. And we need to demonstrate to them their need of a Savior. Like this woman at the well. And she has many questions about things like how to worship. She has a need, whether she realized it or not, for her sin to be confronted. And Jesus will confront her sin. We have penitentiaries that are full of prisoners who can only think about how they messed up to get caught in their sin, in their crime. And most of their time is spent on how to avoid being caught doing their crime next time. I visited a young man that was, he was in, uh, he was in jail, it's honor camp type thing. And he was there for being a drunk driver and having a hit and run accident. And this young man, he told me, he says, you know, I have one basic problem in it. I drink too much. And if it weren't for drinking, I'd be okay. I think I sort of startled him with, uh, with my reply to that. I said, you really don't have a drinking problem. You have a sin problem. You stop drinking and some other sin is going to step in there and take the place of your drinking. You have a sin problem. You need to repent of sin and turn your life over to Jesus. He had a Christian background. He knew what I was talking about. But this woman at the well, she's kind of bouncing along with her uh, conversation with Jesus until Jesus puts his finger on her sin. And after that, she has serious questions. Questions about worship. Who to worship? Where to worship? And she calls Jesus on this. We, we Samaritans worship on this mountain. You Jews worship at temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus brings her to understand that 
what God wants in worship. In verse 24 there, God is spirit and those who worship him must, not should or perhaps must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. You want to worship God? Get real with God. Don't go through pretense. And there are so many, many different religious ways, many different Christian denominations that will try to tell us how to worship God. There's kneeling. Some church have kneelers. You've seen them. You go to high churches. They've got a little kneeler. Kneeler, it plops out, and you kneel down and uh, recite creeds and things like this. Offer up prayers that are written. And there's, uh, well, the Catholics, they recite their Hail Marys quite profusely and at length. The Buddhist, I like this one. The Buddhist, they spin a prayer wheel. And their thinking is, every time that wheel makes a revolution, a prayer goes up to heaven. Hey, 35 prayers right there. <laughs> and, uh, and so they have, they've limited how prayers are received by God. The Jews do not take it upon themselves to offer one of their own heartfelt prayers, but they will usually find a prayer that was some famous rabbi wrote that is close to what they want or need. And they will read the rabbi's prayer and not offer up their own prayer. Which brings me to the disciples being good Jewish boys and men. They asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Jesus answered it. He said, when you pray, say. Not too many times Jesus gets that direct, but he said, say our Father who is in heaven. Get personal with God. We are to come to God in true worship and prayer in an up-close, personal way. Jesus tells his disciples, address the living God as Father. Bring it in close. Get up, get, get near unto God. God is not some faraway deity creator that is ambiguous and, and doesn't have much to do with his creation. He's our Father. Amazing that the God of this universe wants us, his people, to call him Father. Call him Father. God is who God is. It's a title. It's not the name. It's a title. Like king or pharaoh or something like that. But for us, his children, Jesus says, call my father, father. This woman at the well, she knows Messiah is coming. And when he comes, she tells 
Jesus that she's already called a prophet, uh, he will tell us all things. This woman is looking for Messiah. She's a Samaritan, yet she looks for Messiah. And she reveals her hope. Her longing is that Messiah will tell them what to do. And then Jesus breaks the word to her. I who speak to you, I am the Christ, I am Messiah. Startling, startling. Our Lord reveals himself to her. And this revelation by Jesus to this Samaritan woman, it leaves her in amazement. She is amazed that Messiah would visit with her. And then we have, at that, Jesus' disciples returning from Sychar. So let's pick up John 4, 27 through 38. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. The disciples, they return, and they're surprised. They actually marvel. That marvel word means they are slack-jawed. They are like, uh, that the, their Jewish rabbi, lord, and savior talks with a woman, a Samaritan woman. And this they marvel at. They are totally surprised. Yet they don't ask Jesus, uh, why is he talking to a woman? They've learned a little bit about their Lord, and that's uh, let him be Lord and keep their mouth shut on certain issues. But they're marveling that he would talk to this woman. And then we have what we would call an awkward silence. There's no conversation there between the disciples and the woman. There's no conversation between Jesus and his disciples, or the woman, there is silence. The woman, she leaves. She leaves her water pot, and she goes back into the city. Her leaving her water pot indicates that she's going to come back to get her water pot. 
She wants to return to Jesus. But she has a message for the men of Sychar. She has an obligation in her heart to go tell her fellow men, her fellow Samaritans there in Sychar, about Messiah. Come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. And then her question, could this be the Christ? This woman's message is received. And all the people come out to the well to see Jesus. The disciples in the meantime, while she's gone, urged Jesus, eat, we brought you food, go ahead and eat. For they had been into Sychar to buy food. And Jesus in verse 32, he tells them, I have food that you do not know about. Now Jesus is going to enlighten his disciples about spiritual things. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, if you substitute for food there and insert fulfillment, my fulfillment My purpose, my joy, is to do the will of my Father and finish the work He has given me. You get more of a meaning of what Jesus is talking about. It's interesting that on the cross, right before Jesus dies, what does He say? It is finished. So He's talking about a future event where He will lay down His life. But Jesus is there. He says, I've got food that you don't know about. Have you ever been caught up into a project or a a chore or something and you forget to eat? Once in a great while that happens to me. Not too often. But, But Jesus says, I've got food that you don't know about. And he's trying to open the disciples' eyes to spiritual things. And then he says, you say that in four months, harvest will come. I say, lift up your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest. And he says, the harvest is all around us. Jesus wants them, his disciples, to open their eyes to harvest. And then he speaks of harvest. The one who sows and the one who reaps, they receive wages. They work together. They rejoice together. For they have a common cause, harvest. In Jesus, he has pointed to his finished work on the cross. And we're allowed to hear. We're allowed to even not only hear, but to enter into those who have gone before us and sown into the harvest of souls. We've, in our lifetimes, had a great evangelist, Billy Graham. Greg Laurie, another great evangelist. And they hold crusades where hundreds of people come to Christ. But for everyone that comes to Christ... There has been someone somewhere sowing. 
praying, witnessing, a testimony for that person who goes forward in a crusade. The evangelist happens to be the one that's reaping the harvest. They're the ones that see the souls come to the Lord. But our witness, our prayers, they don't go unnoticed by our Lord. We all work together for the salvation of those around us. <clears throat> now for the conclusion. The conclusion of this woman's encounter with Jesus. And that's in verses 39 to 42. And many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. In two days, the Samaritans come to believe. One, because of the testimony of the woman who is confessed that he told me all I ever did. And she's talking about her sins. And Jesus revealed those sins. He pointed them out to her. And then we hear all the crowd that has come to Jesus. They say, now we believe. Not because of what the woman said, for we have heard for ourselves and we know. Jesus has convinced them and they know that this is Messiah. Jesus has only been there two days. The salvation message goes out in the United States around the clock, 24-7, seven days a week. You almost have to willfully be ignorant of salvation by Jesus in America. But these Samaritans, they come to believe after two days with Jesus. And they believe he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. We are extremely blessed to know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And we've had many days. I was raised in a Christian home. I heard the gospel from, you know, yay, yay high. And many of us have heard the gospel. Don't grow tired of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.